Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, despite the backlash, Ontario Premier Doug Ford continues to defend the education plan that his province has rolled out. Did they get it right? Well, we'll talk about that. Canada decided to deal with Pfizer and Moderna on their vaccine candidate to combat COVID-19. What does that mean, and when's this going to happen? Discussion coming up. And a young girl who was on the autistic spectrum was kicked out of the Disney store in a London shopping mall just the other day, despite the fact that the mother warned the store staff that that could occur. The girl's mother, Sarah, joins us to discuss what happened. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We had a lot of uh, discussion yesterday about uh, getting back to school in just a few weeks now. And the Ontario government, of course, rolled out their plan just a few days ago. And Doug Ford is now defending that plan for education here in the province of Ontario for the school year. He says when it comes to classroom sizes, he'd prefer just five kids, but saying, look, that's just impossible so especially for some of the junior grades it's going to be business as usual with 30 maybe 25 30 kids whatever the case might be well a lot of parents and a number of teacher groups are very concerned about that because of COVID-19 that's not really social distancing is it joining us to talk about this Richard Brenner retired journalist uh, with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many many years uh Badger thanks so much for the time I'm glad you could be with us today hey Bill let's uh, I guess we should probably set the tone for this right off the top by saying, look, there is no perfect plan. You know, we've, nobody's ever dealt with COVID-19 before. We don't know exactly what the protocol was. There's certainly no roadmap here. But uh, did the Ford government get it right? Well, when you have the premier say, let's give this a shot at least, that really doesn't instill a lot of confidence in me. It's like, well, let's just let's throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks here. You know, I it, you're right, as you, as you said, Bill. You know this is you know this is new ground. So, who, who has the right formula? But parents are saying, you know, they understand the position the government's in. But they're saying thirty kids in a kindergarten class is not the right formula. And we all know now. I mean, in their very early goings with the COVID nineteen, we were told that you know kids were immune to this, and especially with Trump telling people in the states that and that mm-hmm. you didn't have to worry. Well, that's not the case, and they can carry they can carry the you know the virus as well as anybody else. And you know, in some cases, they get sick. So this is this is a recipe for a problem. At you know fifteen. You know, you might say, okay, that's bearable. You know, kids kids wear their masks and that as they're uh, advocating in the senior, more senior classes. But that that's not going to work. And and the government, I think, at the end of the day, will find that it's not going to work and will will back off on that because parents are rightly, uh, at, you know, questioning whether this is work and and concluding themselves that it's not going to. There are a number of different things, and it's it's a very complex plan, by the way. We're talking about class sizes, and I think we should be because that seems to be the most contentious point. Uh, some of the other stuff, you know, that especially in some of the rural areas, that you can stay home and 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 continue to do the virtual stuff. That's good. I like that idea. Uh, the other concern here, though, is the two things that we know that we're supposed to do now with COVID nineteen is wear masks if we're we're going to be out in public, you know, public places uh, like schools, for instance. And social distancing. If you've got 25 or 30 kids in a class, Richard, how can you social distance? They can't. I mean, and are these, I don't know if they're suggesting these kids in kindergarten are going to wear the masks. I mean, I, I'm as confused as anybody else about what, who does what, when, and all that. But the point, the kids, kids in kindergarten aren't going to wear a mask. And there's 30 of them, they can't, they can't social distance. It doesn't make a lick of sense, in short. I, I don't know how they could possibly do that unless they physically set the classroom up for social distancing and say to the kids, this is where you have to stay. You can't go over and see uh, little Richard over there or, or little Billy over there. Uh, stay here and, and you know, and it's no, Bill, so, so we can happen. all be safe. No, of course not. Yeah, they're kids. They're little kids, and they're inquisitive, and they're, they want down to see their buddies and all that. I mean, you, you just... You know, and we're talking about, you know, in rural areas that uh, where you know kids can stay home and, and 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 do their classes from the you know the comfort of their home. But you know, Bill, and you will know this as well as anybody, that there's many rural areas in Ontario that don't have very good service. Exactly. 
And so that puts them at a disadvantage. If you, you know, if you've got dial-up and you're doing all your classroom uh, stuff by dial-up, I tell you that poses a real problem. It's, you know, we keep, we kind of forget in you know the Greater Toronto and Hamilton area that you know we we have you know Wi-Fi and we have you know internet and all that is pretty accessible. But there's places in Ontario and not that far away don't have that luxury. And so to say, you know, you're going to do classes online, it's easy to say, but in some cases it's not, it's not very, uh, you know, um, it's not really possible in some places. Well, even if it were possible, we've also heard feedback because they've been doing it for some months now in various areas of education. Uh, it's just not for some, everybody. I mean, there are some students that are struggling terribly because of this, and and some parents are very upset about that, that, uh, that, you know, the virtual learning is not the way to go. They still want the classroom experience, but they're concerned about their kids. And I've had feedback, well, since I've been back this week anyway, from parents, uh, some of them, by the way, who have kids who are high risk. I mean, they could have some autoimmune disease, any number of things that are going on. They're afraid to put them in a classroom, into a, an environment like that. Uh, others are concerned, obviously, about the spread, that, okay, maybe that child won't get it, but, you know, are they going to spread it to somebody else? We, we don't know what's going on with situations like that. And the other element to this, too, and I know, you know, we, we, we are learning more about this thing every day, COVID-19, that is, uh, there is a pretty strong indication right now that even if you get it and don't have a violent case, uh, there could be some long-term effects on your body that we're starting to hear about now, too. Now, do you want to expose your kids to that possibility? You know, and it's the thing is, 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 you know, the kids, the kids, you know, don't seem to be as susceptible to it as adults, but they are. But, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's the case. But, it's, you know, the, the kid comes, little, you know, Mary or Johnny come home from school and they pass it on to their parents who pass it on to their parents, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So this is, it's just, it, it's, you know, the ripple effect that we have to consider here, too. And that is just, I mean, this is a Petri dish, as far as I'm concerned. With 30 kids in a class, it's, it's, it's ripe, for, uh, ripe for problems. Well, let's, let's look at some numbers here. And as one parent, I think, wisely asked me through email yesterday after the conversations we had on our show, uh, you shut these things down in the middle of March, Mr. Premier. What's different now that, that you feel safe putting them back in there? Uh, yeah, the numbers have gone down, granted, but we're told by the medical experts on both sides of the border now that there will be a spike in September, October. That's going to happen. Uh, we're going to expose our kids to that. I mean, are we going to do this the week after Labor Day here, Richard, and then shut these things down by Thanksgiving? Well, th- that is a good point, Bill, I'll tell you, because I just my wife and I are just talking about that. I see today uh, that yesterday's n- number of new cases was less than 100, and it's been like yep. that for three days now. But that also showed itself in other countries where the numbers were drastically reduced, and, th- and, and China being one of them, where they've taken right off again. So we shouldn't be sitting back and 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 you know and and rubbing our hands and say, "Boy, what a great job we did." Everybody's doing their best, but it's with this virus, it just you can't say that there won't be that you know uh, that it won't spike because it's proven elsewhere that it does spike. So what do you do? You you, you know you have you, I mean I I feel. I feel some sympathy for for the premier because he has to. He's trying to get the kids back to school. Kids want to go to school, despite what people might think, because you know their friends are there. It's a sure. you know it's a, a social thing for them as much as it's education, and they want to get back to school. And there's a lot of pressure on him to get the kids back to school. But what's the right formula? Well, in his rollout last week, no, you know, when when, uh, the Premier and Mr. Lecce, the uh, the Education Minister, made their their plans public uh, last week, 
uh, you know, they talked about consultation. And I, I think the phrase, I'll paraphrase what the Premier said, is this is not our plan. This is a plan from the experts. We gathered all this information, and which is, the, I guess, the right thing you're supposed to say. And they talked about consultation with uh, the people over at SickKids Hospital in Toronto and, and a number of other agencies. But what SickKids Hospital says and what Canada Health says and what just about anybody who's watching this and paying attention to what's going on with COVID says is every plan has to have strict regulations about social distancing and putting 25 kids in a classroom is not social distancing unless the classroom is going to be the gymnasium well if it's a gymnasium and everybody's got their little corner maybe you can get away with this but uh, they're not talking about any gymnasium they're talking about a classroom yeah it's uh i think quite frankly i think the government with the pushback from parents and and educators they will they will have to to rethink this i i just don't think it's going to work and, and what i don't understand too is that you know here we are we're what a month away from school starting again and we're just coming up you know with a plan now and you know and some some might say half baked but we're coming up with a plan and the schools just around the corner i mean should this not have been thought out before this I mean, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, people are asking that, and you know, I kind of agree with them. You know, this is this is something that should have been. People should have turned their minds to this. Educators, government officials should have turned their mind to this quite a while ago. Not, not you know, within spitting distance of school starting again. The other element too. Let's talk about the physical, uh, you know, situation with the schools themselves. Uh, once they start opening these doors up again, I don't know what it was like when you were just a kid, but I mean, uh, these are old schools. A lot of these things actually are still kicking around from when you and I went to school, uh, and they're not well built. I mean, they don't have proper ventilation systems. There's a whole lot going wrong there that, that as you said, could make these schools into a petri dish. And, and you know, if one person starts getting it. How quickly is it going to spread? And are they going to do contract contact tracing as in as well in situations like this? That if if you know if, if little Billy all of a sudden tests positive, uh, who's he been with the last couple of days? Do you know, how, how are we going to be able to track that? And do they have the, the mechanisms to be able to do that? Or are we going to get outbreaks once again? Because like you say, every time we seem to let up and say, you know what, the numbers are going down. I think we've got this thing by the, the throat now. They go back up again because we get lazy. You know, we don't social distance, or we don't want to wear masks all the time. We figure, oh, come on, what's the matter with a handshake and a hug? You know, and and all of a sudden, you've got the increase in numbers, and it's happened in every jurisdiction. Not as high as it was in the spring, but it's still going up again. And it just seems as if we—it's a, a stark reminder to us that we have not defeated this virus, not by a long shot. I mean, and I don't think there's anybody in their right mind who thinks that they've—they've—you uh, know—it's conquered this. Or wrestled to the mat yet? I mean, and, uh, I tell you, I you know I like to go to the gym, and I've gone back to the gym. This is my second time there, but I'll tell you, I I've just doesn't feel right. Uh, you know, and they're doing all the right things, and you know, social distancing, and we're wearing our masks. But you, you just in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, am I doing the right thing here? Am I doing the right thing by going back to the gym? And and I'm, and that's what parents are thinking right now. Are we doing the right thing by sending our kids back to school with the guidelines that they're talking about? And people, what happens? Everybody, you know, politicians make decisions, and sometimes they they get get it right, sometimes they get it wrong, and there's always going to be pushback, no matter what you say. Uh, You know, so this is what they've done, and they've rolled this out. But what happens if this develops into an I told you so situation where these parents and teacher groups that are complaining about this now do come back in October and say, look what you've caused? Well, it really, I mean, this is the, the problem, the problem here for, you know, because politics always enters into everything. And the problem here for the premier is, you know, he's still riding on a bit of a high, maybe not as much as he was a couple of months ago, but still a bit of a high. And if this backfires and kids get sick or they transmit the virus to others, it, he's going to wear it. There's no question about it. Because, I mean, the parents and, and, and educators will say, we told you so. And you wouldn't listen to us. And who knows? You know, this may go off like clockwork. I don't think so. 
but you never know. But the chances are, and with the history of this virus, that it's it's bound to have problems associated with with some of the plans that they're making. I, I don't think there's any question about that. And the political uh, political backfire will be on him. And, and look, at, I understand the frustration. People saying, "Look, at, we just want to get back. We want to get our kids back to school." We, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, you know, five months now. I've been broadcasting from home, and I, I love my place, but I, I miss working, you know, in the radio station. I miss going to. I mean, we should be halfway through the Tiger Cat season right now. We've been season ticket holders forever. I miss that. I miss going to baseball games. I, you know, want to go to the movies. Uh, we can't do any of that stuff now because there still is a risk. And the worst thing that we can do, I guess, at this point is to let politicians feel that, well, we're, the worst is over. Uh, because we've seen that happen uh, even in the uh, the education system. I mean, one of the comparators that they used about other jurisdictions that have tried what Doug Ford's trying to do here in Ontario, uh, they used Israel as an example because they basically used a plan very similar to what's happening here. And within a few weeks, it got, it, there were huge spikes in the education system. Kids had, had to go home. Uh, we don't want to replicate that. Well, and the states are seeing that, too, uh, yeah. you know, because they go back to school earlier than, than they do here in, in uh, Ontario or Canada. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a disaster. Well, he's uh, seemingly unflex- inflexible about this. Oh, he says I this is the plan. I really don't think so. Well, he I said that about every part. That's the point I was going to make. He said that about almost everything he's rolled out. Well, uh, exactly. You know, autism funding and a whole lot of other things. And uh, it, you know, he, and he's had to bend back on this. So I think he's he, I, taking a, a step back and saying, "Okay, we can rethink this." I think is a good idea at this stage. And I think he will. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, you know, let's face it. He, he's a bit of a populist uh, premier, and and he's going to take the you know the temperature you know uh, the uh, the public, and he's going to say. Maybe this isn't working, and you know, from the pushback they're getting. I mean, it's just you know, the opposition, the, the opposition parties can rail away, and he'll pay no attention to them. But yeah, that, when, that's white noise. Yeah, that's exactly. And when, but when people, when parents, and educators, etc., start saying, "Look, at, we, we, this, we really don't think this is going to work," and then and start to point to other countries and other and in the United States where it isn't working. You know, I, I think that'll really force them to reconsider uh, the numbers at least and and it certainly put a greater emphasis on social distancing. Well, we'll see how it works out and how he responds. Uh, Richard, as always, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you today. Okay, Stay well, healthy. Easy. Richard Brennan, of course. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Some exciting news yesterday from the federal government. Uh, Innovation Minister Navdeep Baines and uh, Procurement Minister Anita Anand uh, had a joint uh, media conference in Ottawa to announce that uh, Canada has signed some deals with a couple of the major uh, drug companies uh, for vaccine. Uh, of course, there's a way to go here, but uh, with Pfizer and Moderna, uh, they're talking about millions of doses. Uh, Minister Anand uh, explained it this way. These agreements with Moderna and Pfizer are indicative of our aggressive approach to secure access to vaccine candidates now so that Canadians are at the front of the line when a vaccine becomes available. Sounds great, uh, but we're not at the finish line just yet, I would think. To try to get some clarity on this, uh, please to welcome back to the program Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid, uh, policy expert, health policy expert, and always a welcome guest on the program. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us again today. Of course, happy to be here. Thank you. Were you surprised by the announcement yesterday? Uh, no, the timing was a bit, a bit surprising, but the news is not surprising. I think it was we all knew that Canada was aggressively working uh, to secure uh, vaccinations for Canadians so that we're at the head of the line when the vaccine becomes available. I think what is surprising about the announcement to some extent is that there is no information about how many uh, doses of vaccine we'll be getting or how much the deal costs. Yeah, they, we'll get into that in just a second because they did throw some numbers around there vis-a-vis cost, and, and that's obviously going to be a factor in, in what's going to move forward. But I, I, I guess I wanted to caution our listeners, though, Doctor, to not get overly excited and say, hey, you know, we're almost at the finish line, time to put the toolkit away, uh, because there's still a lot of work to go before these 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 vaccines, potential vaccines. I know they've done some work on these already, but it's going to be a while before these are going to be ready for the public, aren't they? That's an excellent point. So, like, that's precisely it. We Most vaccines have gone through phase one of testing. 
you really want to hear news about phase three. And phase three is currently what they are in. Uh, phase three is when we start testing people over a long period of time. So we move from testing animals, which has been the case so far. We've seen very good results with animal testing to testing humans. Uh, right now, Moderna and Pfizer, for example, is testing about 30,000 people. Uh, and you need to monitor them over a long period of time. You divide them into a group of people that are receiving the vaccine, the COVID-19, and ones that don't without them knowing. That's called uh, blinding in, in, or placebo in, uh, in clinical medicine, in experimental medicine. And then you see for side effects. So the point I'm trying to make here is that it's going to be some time. Yes, we can't be overly optimistic right now and say the vaccine is going to be able tomorrow. They're anticipating a vaccine in the market in Canada within a year, 12 to 18 months. Uh, that's if it passes all the regulatory tests. That's the other caveat that's very important to say. Canada has an extremely rigorous process of, regu of regulating drugs and vaccines before they get into our market. So we're going to see them go through a very thorough testing before they're available to Canadians. Is there a concern here that we may be going too quickly on this? And, and, and I'm not, I don't mean skipping steps, but, you know, let's, let's get this signed off and let's get this uh, okayed. Uh, there's an urgency here. We all know that. But it's got to be very difficult to say, okay, but we've got to stick to the course here and stick to the protocol. Well, the urgency is there because people are dying of COVID-19, and COVID-19 has disrupted human life as we know it. So the urgency is definitely there. Has it been fast-tracked? Sure. But I don't think that in terms of safety and regulation of that, safety measures will be fast-tracked. I think it would be very hard to say that the government in this case will ever you know, put people's health at risk with this vaccine. Because, you know, what we have to understand is that for years, in the past 10 years, for example, there's been a big movement against vaccination. So we're already fighting two fights. We're fighting the, the fight for COVID-19 to make sure people are healthy and alive. But we're also fighting the fight against people who are anti-vaccination. Uh, and so when the vaccine does become available, you are going to have a large subset of the population, to be fair, not probably a large, a good number of the population who don't believe in vaccines and don't think they are safe. So there's going to be a massive educational campaign that needs to happen uh, to make sure that we, we, uh, we uh, people trust that this vaccine is safe uh, and good for their health. Doctor, let's talk a little bit about the human trials. And, and, and as you say, a number of the companies, I think there's over 100 companies uh, around the world, probably more than that, uh, that are trying to work on stuff like this. Uh, but what are they looking for now that they've started the human trials? I know that one element certainly is, okay, they want to see if, 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 if I'm vaccinated. Okay, am I going to build up antibodies, which is obviously one of the, 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 the goals, I guess, of the vaccine itself. But how long do you wait to see if there are any side effects or long-term effects to the vaccine itself? Well, what the research has shown is that the, from the phase, uh, phase one trials, uh, and most of that data was animal data, so they're testing it on animals, that the vaccine has shown to have a, a strong immune reaction. Uh, and, but that, what that means by that is that the body, the, 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 the animal body was able to react to it in a good way and fight off the virus. What, we do, what they look for in phase three is to see if like, the human body can react to it the same way and if there are side effects. Now, what are those side effects? We don't know, right? That's part of the testing is to see what are those side effects and are they bad enough? Uh, you know, side effects will always happen. It would be very hard to say that you're going to introduce a vaccine that will have zero side effects. That's impossible. Uh, what we want to see is that are those side effects tolerable and do they put the person's health at risk and what kind of risk that is. This is why I think if you, you read carefully, all the top health uh, experts, uh, people in government who are top health officials are telling you, you know, this is great news, but let's, let, let's not be overly optimistic. Let's wait and see what this vaccine, uh, how the trials come out, what's the result. And we should, what the companies are anticipating that we will have this not that long from now. In 2021, early 2021, we should be having some kind of results about what the vaccine looks like in phase three trials. I, I mean, the worst case scenario that uh, historically, of course, was thalidomide way back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And at that time, they thought that was a wonder drug. Uh, and, and many, many women were using it, of course. And of course, and then we found out it causes birth defects. Uh, mm -hmm. But that was sometime after, of course, you know, this was put on the market. And uh, they obviously didn't see that coming. And uh, you always have to wonder about that. And I think you and I had a discussion about this a month or two ago. Uh, there was a period back, uh, I guess, some years ago where they thought they had a vaccine for AIDS, too. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, they rushed to judgment on that one. And uh, an awful lot of people died, actually, that took the vaccine. So they backed off. Now, we don't have a vaccine still for AIDS, but we have treatment for it. 
so it's great news that they've got the vaccine. Now we just have to understand what it's going to do to the human body. Well, yeah, and, and also science has advanced, right? Where we were yeah. where we are now is very different. We have, you know, incredible technology right now, incredible vaccine development. But also, I said this earlier, Canada as a country, we are very rigorous compared to any other country out there in the world. So, like, Canadians need to be assured of that. Here, you know, Health Canada, and this is part of the reason why often you hear the rhetoric that, you know, the U.S. got this new miracle drug. We don't have it in Canada. Why do we not have it in Canada? The simple answer to that is that we take a very strong stand on testing. Canada regulates their drugs and vaccines very carefully. They want to make sure it's as safe as possible for the humans, for our Canadians. We do not put it out in the market until it's done through thorough testing over a long period of time. So that's why it's assuring to know that that process is in place. And that for sure won't be fast-tracked. It'd be very hard. Like That's a very rigorous process that will stay in place no matter what. And, and that's reassuring. I know that some people find it frustrating, but you know, there are dozens of examples, aren't there, of, of you know, oh, that wonder drug, this cancer treatment, or something, and we, no, it's not available in Canada. It's because Health Canada is not comfortable with it as of yet. Uh, and that's got to be part of this process as well. We'd like to think that everything's going to be simpatico here, but we don't know that at this stage. Uh, but it's 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 one of these things that I, I think sets us apart from some of the other countries that we make sure that it's going to be safe before we decide to just run full long into this and just say okay everybody let's go here. Uh, yeah, let's public, talk about the price. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Sorry, I was going to say go us us the public we hold our our government accountable. I think conversations like you and I are having now uh, and and many others that are actually voicing their concerns about the safety of vaccine holds the government accountable, makes them know that we are on the alert, that the general public is a bit concerned about the safety of that. And it just makes sure that there's transparency and accountability throughout the process. In terms of the price, I think part of the reason why they weren't able to talk about it is because they're still in negotiation. The government of Canada is still in negotiation with other companies. So about, the WHO said there was about 166 companies currently developing vaccines. So I think what Canada is doing, part of the reason for not disclosing the price or the total amount of uh, vaccine they're getting is because they're still in negotiation. And as a very smart business tactic, you don't disclose what the numbers are until you secure another deal. Exactly. Well, the numbers that they were talking about yesterday, uh, Moderna actually brought this up. Uh, they say uh, per dosage, uh, they say probably anywhere from uh, 32 to $37 a dose. Now, mm-hmm. a, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I guess it was, doctor, I got the shingles vaccine, and I had to pay for that because it, it's not covered by OHIP. It was a lot more than that. So this sounds to me like it's quite a bargain. Well, that's because there's a mass order. So they, they yeah. also said that there's going to be 32 36 uh, but it will be lowered depending on how, many, how much you, you uh, order. And by that, I mean is that Canada will do a bulk buy. And this is part of the argument that in health policy, we always say about pharmacare, why we need a universal uh, coverage towards pharmaceuticals. Right now, we pay out of pocket uh, and we're, we're advocating for a change in our system. That's the, the same argument applies to this COVID-19 vaccine. Part of the reason why it will be lower is because we'll be able to order for the entire population of Canada. And I think what the minister said yesterday that uh, the argument here is that we're gonna, we, they want to aim to have two doses, two vaccines per Canadian. So that's going to be a big order that will definitely lower the price. Yeah, that's a pretty aggressive campaign, isn't it, uh, to have two doses per Canadian? Uh, they're talking about 100 million doses of the vaccine. Is that deliverable? Uh, well, the, the companies seem to be very, Pfizer and Moderna seem to be very optimistic about that delivery date. We also don't know a lot. I'll be very honest. Like, we don't know whether we do need two vaccines. Do we need yeah. those two doses and what, how much of that dosage we need for those vaccines? I think that's something that's still left unknown uh, and will take time for us to explore that further. Sure, maybe the government has a bit more inside knowledge from the companies themselves. But I think at this point, this is what it seems to be the, the main argument. Which is one of the things that I think a lot of people are concerned about, and you and I have had that discussion in the past, too. Would that be determined in, in the phase three of, of the, the human testing as to how effective it is and how often we need to have that? I mean, you know, we all got, uh, you know, vaccines against things like, you know, whooping cough and everything when we were kids, but we had to every couple of years get what they called a booster. In other words, something to just kind of reinvigorate it once again, too. That, that's a possibility, I would think, with this one, too. Absolutely. So I think the evidence there would say that, uh, phase three clinical trials will you start seeing some data about how much they're giving those people, what's the dosage, how long they're being monitored for, and when they started seeing symptoms. And when the symptoms are, are they are as simple as just an immune reaction to the vaccine. 
So like, you know, sometimes when you get the flu vaccine, you have a bit of fever, you might feel a little bit of sick, but or is this bigger than that? Does this require hospitalization? That's going to be time. I think we're going to everybody's going to be paying a very close attention to the news in the next, I would say, six to eight months to see if there's any early data that's coming out from this clinical three trials, uh, because they will be very indicative of what would come about this vaccine, how fast we can get it. When we develop antibodies in a situation like this, for whether it's COVID or anything else, is there, is there a standard time that those antibodies stay with us, or or do they dissipate over time? Well, technically, they're supposed to stay with us, but I mean, the early reports and the evidence that's coming out of COVID nineteen and the and people who had COVID nineteen. So, uh, what I mean by I mean by that is that there was an argument that the immune system was developing antibodies against COVID nineteen. So, in some sense, if you got COVID nineteen, you were protected against it. The evidence right now is inconclusive about that. It's, some reports are coming back saying they're testing people and they're realizing that they're not having the antibody longer than they need to or what, what the anticipated period was. So three months, maybe six months. That's not the case. So the same thing will be with the, with the vaccine. We need to look about how long this vaccine can actually be effective. And maybe, and just maybe, the reason why Canada is getting two doses of it is because we, the second one might be a booster dose, as we said earlier. So it might be you get one, and then we need to make sure that your immunity still builds up to it so you get another one at a later stage. But also, I think what's very important to say here is that they, the, uh, Dr. Teresa Tam did say it will not be mandatory. So it's also going to depend on that we're going to need to have as, as many people getting vaccinated as possible to develop this concept we've said before in the show, uh, herd immunity. And if that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. then we also need to continue uh, to practice physical distancing, washing our hands, wearing masks in public to really prevent the spread of the virus while we await this vaccine to come in the market. You mentioned there's over 166 uh, companies right now that are trying to get onto the vaccine trail here and, and in various stages, of course, of, of the development and the testing process. Uh, have we put all our eggs in one basket with these two companies, or, or should we be looking at some of the other ones to see what else is developing? Well, Canada is definitely looking at other ones. They're not just putting their eggs in one basket. Pfizer and Moderna seems to be the most uh, the, sort of top candidate. So the two companies that have gone the furthest along this development. I mean, we're talking about the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Uh, and so it makes sense that they would be ahead of the lead because they have the resources for it. But it doesn't mean it seems from what we've heard yesterday and the, the, this week from the government is that they are in negotiations with other companies, small and big, across the world to see what other potential candidates we can get. I have zero doubt that the government is aggressively working to make sure that we are ahead of the line because I think there was a big uh, sort of a disagreement or argument about this in the past few months about where is Canada in these negotiations, why we're not hearing about Canada fighting to get the vaccine first, and the news have now reassured us that we are. We, you know, Canada is going to be one of the countries that will get the vaccine first because that was a big concern for many people. How important was it for us to get this deal signed, sealed, and delivered now? And, and I'm thinking back to when... COVID just expanded and just blew up, you know, around March, of course, when a lot of governments went into shutdown mode, et cetera. Uh, there was a shortage of things like personal protective equipment, things of this nature. And I, I think we all recall the story of some of the stuff that we had already purchased from 3M uh, was held up at the border by the U.S. government saying, no, that's ours. You can't have that. Uh, it was finally settled. But, I mean, you know, when, when people get desperate, some more things can happen. And, and even Donald Trump has mused around that, well, if it's developed in America, every American's going to get it before anybody else in the world gets our... Uh, and now, that's only one guy's opinion. I get that. But the fact that we've got a deal here with these two companies and, and you know, there's an agreement, yes, you're going to get your stuff, has got to be pretty important, I would think. Absolutely important. I think that there was, uh, again, I say, like what I said earlier, is that other countries in the world have already, uh, you know, signaled that they've signed deals with pharmaceutical companies to get the vaccine. So it looked odd that Canada wasn't one of those countries. And, I mean, obviously, people in health policy, we knew from behind the scenes that Canada was definitely in negotiation. It just wasn't made public. Because like any other business deal, you keep that private until you secure that deal. Uh, This requires bargaining for bulk pricing. It requires how much, you know, a lot of negotiations back and forward about how much of the vaccine they'd be able to deliver and the time they'd be able to deliver it. Those negotiations take some time, so it was no surprise that it was kept secretive until they were able to secure this deal. But this deal is exceptionally important for our Canadians and the health of Canadians because once the vaccine is in the market, we don't want to see this fight over it, which will happen. I mean, I think, I think many countries, unfortunately so, 
uh, around the world will not have access to the vaccine right away and will have to wait in line to get it. Uh, and that's ideal in an ideal situation that shouldn't be the case. We should be able to provide vaccine for the entire world at the same time or relatively around the same time, which we know will not be the case. I only have a minute or so left here, but there's a question I just got in from Aaron, who's listening to our conversation here, Doctor. Uh, with 166 different companies trying to develop vaccines, how different are those vaccines going to be? Are they variations on the same theme, or is there a possibility that one could be totally different from, from another one? That's an excellent question. So uh, the two vaccines that the, the deal was signed on were vaccines that were mRNA-based vaccine candidates. So both Pfizer and Moderna were really focused on the mRNA, different strains of it. So uh, Moderna is looking at mRNA-1273, is the name of that vaccine, while Pfizer is BNT-162. And the answer, the short answer to the question is, uh, they will be different variation of that vaccine, the ingredients they use, the way it reacts to it. So I think this is why Canada is making sure that it's negotiations with different candidates. Uh, at the end of the day, for us Canadians, what should be our concern is that which one we will we get? Canada will make sure that we're getting the best one, the one that has the least side effects, the most effective one out of all the candidates. That's not really for us to be as concerned about. Again, it goes back to the point about regulations and testing. This is where testing will come in. This is where regulation will come in. Once the, once the vaccines are safe, Canada will assess all of them that they try to secure and then decide which ones they will be the ones that we will administer to Canadians. Always reassuring to get you on the program here and add some clarity to uh, what's a very, very complicated subject, Doctor. Thank you so much for the time. Great talking with you again today. Of course. Happy to speak to you. Take care. Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid, a public policy expert and certainly a health policy expert, who's tracking this, as many other doctors and physicians are uh, worldwide, to make sure that this vaccine is done properly and as quickly as possible. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Project story. I, I was really bothered by this because, I mean, there's an awful lot of consternation about what's going on with COVID-19, and we're all trying to do our best. And, you know, municipalities are putting bylaws in place to try to protect us, and that's a good thing. And we look for compliance in situations. But, you know, when we started talking, for instance, about wearing face masks, which I, I'm a strong advocate of, uh, we were also told that there could be exceptions. People that have uh, some physical conditions or concerns, asthma and other things like that, uh, where they can't do this. And we have to be flexible about these sorts of things. And certainly so do the places that in which we shop, whether it's a grocery store or any other place. Well, there was a terrible thing that happened the other day in London, Ontario. Uh, a Windsor, Ontario family says they were told to leave the Disney store in London CF Masonville Place Mall after their six-year-old daughter, Ruby, who is on the autism spectrum, was improperly wearing her mask inside the store. And uh, the managers were told uh, told them to, to leave, that, they, you know, they're in noncompliance. And she, the mother tried to explain this whole situation, uh, yet they still were told to leave. Uh, Sarah Belarja is the mother of uh, Ruby, and she joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to explain exactly what happened. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Thanks for having me. Why don't you, maybe you could walk us through exactly what happened in the store the other day. Sure. I'll uh, try to give you the abbreviated version here. Sure. Um, <laughs> You know, we uh, we came from Windsor, obviously, so that's two-hour drive, um, and we brought our masks. We were prepared. Uh, we've been practicing at home, um, you know, but we were going with accordance of the bylaws in London um, and Windsor. Um, so we felt, you know, if she kept the mask on, that would be a bonus, um, but it wasn't completely necessary. But we went to the store. Um, we told them at the front, um, you know, she has autism. She may not keep it on. Um, we're trying our best. So the staff said, okay, come on in, just try your best to keep it on. So we, you know, we sold her on through the store and several times the mask would fall underneath her nose or she would rip it off because um, she has a sensory issue. So things touching her mm -hmm. face aren't really, um, it, they bother her. Um, so, you know, several times. Which, was, which is not uncommon for people that are on the spectrum. Right, right. It's very common. Um, so we were approached several times and it was, it was almost like they were just right behind you waiting for, you know, that mask to come down or for it to come off. Um, so we were greeted with many different responses, um, things like, I know people on the spectrum and they can wear masks, so so should your daughter, and and really, um, really insensitive comments. Um, you know, so we, I kept going. I didn't want to, you know, affect my daughter's day. It was a big day for her to be able to go out to a store. Um, so we kept going. Uh, then the meltdown started because, you know, I kept trying to pick up that mask and put it back on. 
Um, so in the middle of a meltdown, another staff member comes up to us and says, she needs to be wearing a mask or we have this face shield we can give you. Um, so I don't know if anyone's ever seen an autistic meltdown before. They can be pretty, um, mm-hmm. you know, dramatic and, uh, and hard to get through. So in the middle of that, having someone come up behind you to, to suggest that to you is a little <laughs> hard to, uh, hard to get through. Um, but I mentioned again that, um, something on her face would not be, um, it still wouldn't be working for her. Um, so then we were told we had five minutes to make the purchases and leave the store. Um, so, you know, completely in shock. I didn't want to ruin her day again. So, uh, you know, I let her use her tooth fairy money and pay, and then we left the store. Um, but, you know, no one else in the store had a time limit, but magically, you know, we had a time limit. Not. Uh, yeah, we had, we were the only one in the store that had a time limit, apparently. So, you know, I was, uh, I, again, didn't want to ruin her day. So I packed up and left basically is what happened. I, I'm interested and fascinated by uh, your, uh, feeling as as you went through the store because i mean you did the right thing obviously and sarah and said look at you know this ruby has you know she's on the spectrum so this could mm-hmm. be a problem did you get you but it seems that you got the sense that they were actually watching you in the store then because of that yeah you know we felt like we were being um like someone was always right behind us um you know watching and, and waiting for it to come down so they could jump on us and say something and you know i understand the safety of the staff is very important and the safety of the shoppers is very important. So, you know, we are, we are obviously trying our best to comply with their rules. Uh, the medical officer of health for Middlesex London is uh, Dr. Chris Mackey. Actually, we know Chris because he used to work here in Hamilton uh, okay. as an associate medical officer of health. Great guy. And, and uh, he has responded to this, of course, and I, I don't know who's talked to you, but uh, uh, Dr. Mackey says that, look, at children under the age of 12 and those with disabilities are exempt from wearing masks indoors. Uh, did the staff not understand that? Uh, well, what I was told after the fact, you know, I wasn't told of these policies until we reached out to uh, Disney Guest Services ourselves. Um, but Disney has a um, policy for anyone to and under does not have to wear a mask, but everyone over that, it doesn't matter on the disability, even in adults, children, it doesn't matter. Um, a mask is required in all of their um, facilities and in their parks. Um, but, you know, for a company that is, uh, they, they pride themselves on having um, all this extensive training with special needs children and adults, it just didn't really seem um, like a very inclusive policy. So, uh, as you were told, so the Disney policy, if I'm reading this right from what you're telling us here, is that uh, there are no exceptions. In other words, if, if you're asthmatic and you can't wear a mask in public, uh, too bad, so sad, you're not allowed in the store. Is that what they're telling you? Correct. I actually had um, several families, uh, people with asthma and people with autism and other, uh, you know, CP and things like that. They reached out to me and said they were told the same thing. And and for one of the staff members to actually say, I know people that have autism and they don't have, you know, they, they wear masks. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's insensitive. It's rude and insensitive right. and, and very uninformed. Mm-hmm. Uh they don't know much about autism then if they say well we know people that's that's why they say you are on the spectrum it it autism yes. is different it's it, there's like snowflakes it affects everybody differently no two people are usually the same that Absolutely. are uh, living with autism mm-hmm. uh, so for them to suggest that well a one size policy fits all for people with autism is 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 it basically it's an ignorant statement and 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 to hold you to that i i find it very insensitive i want to take just a second sarah i'm I, i'm sure you saw this but for our listeners uh, on uh, CFL and CHML, I wanted to talk about this because uh, uh, Disney did issue a, a, a response to this, uh, which sounds like you know somebody in their public relations department crafted this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say, I'll just take a couple of seconds here, we are always focused on the health and safety of our cast members and guests. Cast members are the store employees. That's what they call them at Disney. Mm-hmm. All of our Disney stores, we have implemented a number of enhanced measures, including a face covering requirement. During these unprecedented times, we have all shared responsibility to do our part. We regret the family was disappointed. That's not an apology. No. <laughs> In other yeah. words, we regret that you guys were ticked off about it, but too bad. So, they, no, that's a very insensitive response to this, I think. Exactly. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what we thought as well. You know, it was uh, it was kind of a, a cop out in a way. You know, we're, we'll acknowledge it, but we're not going to apologize for what happened to you. Um, that's the the feeling I got from it. How did you How did you feel when we were leaving the store? You know, I felt really. It was almost embarrassing because I know people saw because I had people 
tell me, you know, reach out to me that said, we were in the store that day with you and we saw what happened to you. Um, you know, it, it was embarrassing for me. I'm glad that my daughter didn't really understand what was going on. But, you know, my nieces were with me as well and they had a lot of questions. You know, they're, they're about her age, between six and eight. You know, they had a lot of questions. They didn't really understand what was going on. What were they asking you? You know, they were asking why were they why are they mean to us? We don't understand. Um, you know, Ruby was trying. She had her mask on. Why why did that happen to her? It's 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 a very unfortunate situation for everybody involved in this. Uh, do you expect to hear back from them? Uh, I don't. Um, you know, I had sent an email through their guest relations. Um, the day that it happened, and I just got a generic reply this morning. So I don't. What did they say? Uh, just basically the same um, thing that we're, you know, it's unfortunate you had that problem or whatever. The same statement that uh, that we were given earlier. So I don't, uh, don't expect any change there, unfortunately. This this is a from a public relations standpoint. And I know that's not the priority here, but this is a large, large international company. They're missing a real opportunity here for for to to make this right and say, you know what, we met, we messed up. We're really sorry about that. Uh, but they're not even doing that. No, and that that's really all I'm looking for in this. I'm not looking. You know, people think I'm looking for money or free things. I'm just looking for an apology, and I'm looking for things to be different for the next kid that goes into that store. Uh, which is going to happen, and, and yeah. not just in that store, but in other Disney stores. I mean, you know, there's one here in Hamilton, and one mm-hmm. just in just about every place. And you know, for our listeners in London, I mean, they they know this mall, I'm sure, and and know and probably have been in that store, or at least walked past mm-hmm. it so many times. Uh, you'd like to think that a, that a, an international corporation like Disney, which prides itself and tries to to portray itself as a family oriented you know enterprise mm-hmm. would understand that the families come in different shapes different sizes and uh, with different challenges exactly but they don't they don't seem to have that attitude no and you know i again i say that like i i appreciate the the staff trying to keep everyone safe and i get they want to keep themselves safe but there has to be some sort of middle ground you know there's there's bylaws for a reason that protect these kids um you know and even when we were in the store without the masks on we were I was holding her hand and we were keeping our distance from everyone, so that was still a compromise for myself as well. As you tried to do this in the short time, sadly that you were in the store, was Ruby getting frustrated? She was, and that that's where the the meltdown happened. You know she's excited to be in that store, and that store can be uh, overwhelming as well, but you know we she hadn't been out in a long time, and it was a treat for her to go. Um, but yeah, you throw the mask into the mix and things got a little, little dicey. I'm wondering, you know, just how stringent you know, some of these places are going to be. I mean, and again, for people that are on, on the spectrum, uh, the, the, the tactile thing is, is a real thing for very, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people in situations like that. Uh, I, I know another family that's, uh, that's living with autism too. I mean, and, and their son actually has a, a companion dog that mm-hmm. goes everywhere with him. Uh, I wonder if they'd allow that in the store like that. I mean, do they not understand that, uh, that this is, you know, you can't just say, okay, only these sorts of people can go into the store. I mean, there are, there are yeah. rights and freedoms that we all have in situations like this. And you'd hate to think that this store is going to say, well, you know, Ruby can't come in there anymore because of her autism. That's yeah. essentially what they're telling you. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've had people, you know, seeing has, how this story's kind of caught on. I've unfortunately read some of the comments and people have actually said to me, you know, I've, I've heard, I later found out this person is an educator, has said, you know, um, you should keep your kid locked up and homeschool because she can't. Well, those, yeah, but people, people that say things like that are just idiots. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you've got to dismiss that. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, I've got to blow I, it off, I, but... Uh, when it's a kid, you know, you get a little, uh, you get a little sensitive. I I get feedback like that on a number of different subjects in this kind of work that I do, and and I, you know what I do? I thank God that I have a delete button uh, because yeah. I don't pay any attention to that, and I don't respond to that either. And yeah. it's insulting to you and to Ruby and to everybody uh, who's living on the spectrum that uh, that mm-hmm. somebody would be that, you know, ins- insensitive and and you know, 
mean-spirited to do something like that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm surprised. I am really surprised because of the feedback. I know this has received national news coverage as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you'd like to think that Disney's going to say, you know what, maybe maybe we better rethink how we did this. And, uh, and, and again, I, 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 I know where you're coming from in this situation, Sarah. It's not like you're saying, hey, I want gift certificates or I want, you know, free access for life or yeah, give me yeah. a trip to Disney World. You don't do any of that. You're yeah. just saying, please understand that my daughter wants to go in there and she can't mm-hmm. wear a mask. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, we even had our masks with us, you know, and she even had Disney characters on her mask. So, she, you know, she's a big fan and, you know, it was just disappointing to be treated that way. And she tried. It's not as oh, if yeah. you said I, yeah. she's not going to wear the mask in here. She tried to, and and I know you know when when that starts to happen. And yes, I do know about meltdowns and what it can be like, and uh, and it's problematic. And, and I'm sure that's one of the things that probably fueled their discontent to say, okay, you got to leave now uh, mm-hmm. because you're causing a, a scene. You know, I, I'm sure they didn't say that, but I'm, I'm guessing they were thinking that. Right. It's uh, it it makes a bad situation worse when they respond that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A, a child who's having a meltdown, an autistic child who's having a meltdown, is not having a temper tantrum. Uh, they, those right. are two separate things, and th- mm-hmm. th- uh, clearly they didn't make that differential, did they? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Um, you know, I was told that they have training in that area as well. It just didn't seem like they were utilizing the training very well. No kidding. There's there's the understatement of the day, I guess, Sarah. <laughs> uh, listen, congratulations on on sticking it out and uh and and i really appreciate you coming on to talk about this and i know that your your intention uh as you've talked to folks like me in the media uh is is not for any attention not for any grandiose idea it's simply to make people aware and the families that are in the same circumstance that you and ruby are uh that you may run into this and i i know that happens in other situations but COVID makes it uh, especially different because of what's going on with the masking and social distancing and things of this nature and and I, maybe the takeaway here is what Dr. Mackey said, the medical officer of health for London Middlesex, is let's be a little flexible here because there are people with medical conditions that are going to be adversely affected, and you've got to make exceptions for them. And clearly, I think Disney has to rethink their policy. Yes, I agree. So thank you so much for the time. Uh, give Ruby a hug for us, will you? I will. <laughs> Thanks so much, so much, Sarah. Take care now. Right. Sarah Bellagio, okay. of course, uh, from uh, actually from Windsor. But, uh, this is happening at uh, a, lo- a mall in, in London, Ontario, and it's a really sad story. And, and I'm very disappointed, A, that it happened. I'm very disappointed in the way that Disney responded to it. Uh, you'd think better of a major corporation like that. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.